and welcome back to Sharp Scratch. You're listening to episode 97, The First Generation Medical Students. This is a podcast brought to you by the BMJ and sponsored by Medical Protection, where medical students, junior doctors and expert guests come together and discuss all the things you need to know to be a good doctor that you might not get taught at medical school. I'm Charlotte and I'm the Editorial Scholar here at the BMJ, looking after all the content the BMJ student will be producing this year. I'll be going back to medical school at the University of Oxford to do my final year in a couple of months. Um, so today we're joined by two of our panellists. Would you like to introduce yourselves? Hello, my name is Ramneet and I'm a second year graduate entry medical student at the University of Birmingham. Hello, my name is Stanimir and I'm also a graduate entry medical student in my third year at the University of Warwick. Amazing, it's so nice to have you with us today. I didn't realise got all the grads today. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's great to be working with Stan. I don't think we've worked together before. No, I think this is our first episode yeah. together. Yeah, mm-hmm. exciting. Yeah. Really exciting. Um, yeah, it was lovely to see you both today. Um, and I'd also like to welcome our expert guest. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself? Thanks, Charlotte. Yep. Um, so I'm in Amherst. I'm a GP in, uh, in Manchester um, and I work as a clinical senior lecturer uh, at the medical school. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Starting university or medical school can be a daunting experience for anyone, but when you're the first person in your family to study medicine, it can feel even scarier. In today's episode, we're going to be talking all about what it's like to be a first-generation medical student. We'll start from the very beginning and talk about when we first realised we wanted to study medicine and what it was like to apply. We'll then move on to discussing our time at medical school and whether we experienced any kind of culture shock or, you know, anything that surprised us when we arrived. We'll then finish up by talking about positive changes we'd like to see in medicine and how our feelings have kind of changed with time. Um, so yeah, Ramneet, Stan, your mums were both nurses, is that right? Yes, yeah, my mum was a nurse, yeah. yeah. And I, I think something with that that I've kind of noticed as well is my mum, like being there, she actually wanted to be be a doctor. Uh, mm. I remember she said back in India, she was what she really wanted to do. And then even now that I've got into medicine, my brother still argues with me and thinks that I'm only doing medicine just to fulfil my mum's dreams. <laughs> and she's like, and he's like, that's the real reason. And uh, it frustrates me because I'm like, no, I'm doing this because I genuinely want to do it for myself. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, I don't know, Stan, if like. Did you feel like, you know, your mum being like in a healthcare background kind of influenced your decisions anyway? I think a little bit, yeah. Um, I remember my mum used to work as an ICU nurse. She doesn't practice as a nurse anymore. But um, when she did, I used to go sometimes on the ward um, because, you know, there was no one to take care of me or if I was just sort of like needed to go there for something. And I remember every time entering the ward, I would feel this kind of, it was really cool. And, you know, like an uh, intensive care is very different from all other wards. Um, So that was, that was interesting and I guess that's I mean that might have played into it a little bit but um, a big decision for me as well was uh, my best friend she went to do medicine as well and she was a year older than me and well she's a year older than me so um, I kind of I think uh, being around her really inspired me as well Um, but I think actually my parents when I did say that I wanted to do medicine they were a little bit against it because they knew how much sort of like you need to do and how much effort you put in to be a doctor so in a way I think they wanted me they wanted to kind of protect me from it but in the end I was like no that's what I want to do uh but yeah to this day we still have conversations about like oh what some you know when sometimes you ask yourself like why am I doing this I try not (laughs) to have that conversation with my parents Mm -hmm. because they're like oh we told you (laughs) uh, 
<laughs> that's really interesting um and Enam, like does any of that kind of resonate with you or um is that something you see with like a lot of students that they have kind of medical family yeah i mean um if you were going to my own past you'd have to get the parchment out and go into the <laughs> 1990s <laughs> these modern inventions like internet and mobile phones um i was similar to ravni in that i didn't have any kind of clue about medicine it was um so I'm from a widening participation background. My dad had a, had the first Indian restaurant in uh, in Wakefield in West Yorkshire. So, but I, I was lucky in a way, I, I got a scholarship in a private school and it was very competitive and everyone wanted to be the best. Um, and medicine was the uh, the holy grail. And I like science, so I thought I'd, I'd go for it. But it's interesting because at medical school, I've had the pl- privilege of meeting students from all over the the world, all of all different backgrounds as well. And I think that beauty is in the diversity of the student body there as well. And everyone's got a story to tell. It doesn't matter if you're from a privileged or not a privileged background. You've got an amazing story to tell that will, you know, hopefully make you excel in the career because it is a career of caring and learning and expanding your horizons as well. Um, but I'm afraid my story, my backstory, my uh, Batman um, you know, evolution is is a very boring one. <laughs> it was <laughs> it was all to do with trying to get the best grades and beating my friends. So in the literature, um, we look at what's causing um, people to be put off if you're from a, um, a more deprived background, and one of the reasons is that belief, that belief that you you you're not meant to be there. You can't see yourself, you can't imagine yourself becoming a medical student and a, then as a doctor and not having those role models and those connections and those contacts there at the time. Whereas if you go to, well, if you go to my private school in Wakefield, they trained you up. They trained you everything. They told you exactly what to do. I knew I had to do that work experience. I knew I had to write this on my form. I had lots of iterations. In my time, though, we had to handwrite our forms. Can you imagine how painful that was? <laughs> and I made one little error. Oh the whole yeah. paper was gone and I had to start again. Mm-hmm. But but I think that, that that's the thing we have to really understand. It's not those students from widening participation backgrounds might not get into medicine, not because of lack of ability, lack of knowledge, skills, attitude, but lack of um, belief in themselves and lack of that sort of... Um, that visualization of themselves in a few years time that they will be there in medical school and they'll be an amazing doctor. And, you know, over the years, I've been in the game such a long time. I've seen those students who I've seen on access programs like the the Manchester Access Program. Now they're in successful careers as doctors in specialist training, uh, very close to being GPs, very far in their specialist training in hospital. And they're excelling and they're going way beyond anything I could have imagined. Um, But Luckily, they did take that step that a lot of their colleagues didn't. I've definitely um, observed what um, Enam's just spoken about because if, so in my previous degrees to do quite a lot of well I still do but uh, in a different way quite a lot of widening participation work and we used to, it was to all higher education not just medicine and when we were having sort of conversations with the people who trained us to do the job uh, and things like that it was a phrase was um, kind of used quite a lot is 
you need to remember that the students, you know, the sixth formers that you'll be working with, they're not having these conversations at dinner time about lectures, about what career you're having. And I think your whole environment, you know, from whether even from whether your parents went to university can like determine so much because you know, if this is not something that your parents or those who are around you have ever spoken to you about, how are you going to know that this is something for you? And, you know, there were people who I would met who were very bright and who had a lot of abilities, but A, they didn't know what was what were the options for them. So they kind of stuck with whatever, I guess, the ceiling was at their school, which usually those are schools that don't have a lot of progression to higher education or, you know, they don't have the resources to hire careers advisors and all of that. So I think your environment is so important. Well, I went to like a, a state school sixth form and I remember in year 12 telling my, you know, the academic staff there like, okay, I want to apply for medicine. And I was just met with a lot of, what? Like, you know, we don't usually get students from our sixth form applying for medicine. And I was actually, I felt there was a slight discouragement because, you know, no one knew. It was like the unknown, like, oh my gosh, someone wants to apply for medicine. Like, what are we going to do? And the funny thing is, obviously, in comparison to private schools or grammar schools where the infrastructure is in place to support those um, students to get into medicine, we didn't have that at our state school. So I, for, you know, at that age, I had to literally put that shoulder, that responsibility on top of doing my AS and A2s. And then I went out on my own way, researched. And I remember taking time out of my day, going to meet the examinations officer to sit down with her and go, okay, this, this is how you enroll for the BMAT. This is how, you, and I also, we had a few other students who wanted to apply for Oxford and Cambridge. And then I also sat down and, and helped to like pay and set up the school to actually run those exams. And I kind of wished I had a bit more of that support um, in place and that navigation and even with widening participation, I missed out on my two medical offers that I got because I didn't realise our school was eligible for the widening participation. And it kind of pained me and it pains my mum even more because, you know, if we knew about that and we had this right support and direction, I, you know, I wouldn't have had to go down the graduate route. I mean, I don't regret it, but like I wouldn't have had to, you know, take so many years to get here. Yeah, I think what you said just then about like support and those kind of structures in place, like I really relate to that. Like I had a very similar experience with the BMAT at my school. My school missed the deadline for registering it. So I had to go to a different school to sit it. And I think like that experience when I'm not someone who copes brilliantly with exams, I was nervous enough as it was, then having to go somewhere else to sit an exam in an unfamiliar environment, the kind of experiences that people who who haven't had that kind of um, journey into medicine, just that would never even occur to them as being a, a problem potentially. And yeah, like you said, Ramni, like just, you know, the, the kind of staff in my school just didn't know the roots into medicine, didn't know what that entailed. My, I also went to like, in case it wasn't clear, a, a kind of struggling uh, state school all the way from kind of year seven to year 13. And like, it was my English teacher who did all of that work with me, you know, like interview prep. And it shouldn't have fallen on me and her to kind of piece that together. You know, this was something she did in her free time after classes. She was also incredibly squeamish. So it was a bad pair really to be doing um, <laughs> medicine prep together. But um, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just difficult, isn't it? It's just a very different experience, I suppose. 
I was just going to say, I think it's interesting how once you get to university, there's so much support for your careers. You know, from day one, you're snowed with, we've got an amazing career service. You come and speak to this person. Like, what do you want to do? But before that, it, as you said, relies so heavily on most of the time, the goodwill of teachers or, uh, you know, now there are so many um well, not so many, but there are organizations that sort of try and help. So just at the weekend, I was um, at a wedding participation conference in London where we brought together some schools that we've been working with over the year um, to try and help them get through the process. And again, you know, teachers were taking time out of their week, like bank holiday weekend to take um, to take their kids to a conference. And, you know, some came from far away. There was a school that came from Scotland um, to, to London for this. And if, you know, those are events that you know as much as you try and make them accessible to many people it's never going to be the same as if you had all of that support in school um, but clearly that's that's a big gap that needs addressing and I'm sure that Enam you can tell us more about kind of what what your experience has been with the is it a university widening participation scheme? Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm part of a, uh, the National Medical Schools Widening Participation Forum so we created that about eight years ago and one of our, our strands is on, on access and uh, yeah w- with a massive emphasis on outreach and I, I agree with you uh, Stan about the fact that you know one-off interventions are not necessarily enough it might spark the interest it might get people interested but it doesn't do the the full thing and that's where outreach programs come in because they provide you with that kind of structured support but what we tend to say when we do our outreach or we do our access program is 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 something to to like get the the applicant thinking as well and one of the things we say is look for your allies look for your fan base you know if you were in uh, doing a concert who would be at the front who would be the person you know really egging you on you know the the proper cheerleaders because there are people there and i think you know charlotte you've mentioned your english teacher even though she was squeamish she was your cheerleader because she clearly wanted to invest in you and invest in your future. And and they're, they're always there. There's always somebody there to railroad you who wants to n- not, m- you know, ensure that you're not, you're going to be happy and successful. But the the cheerleaders, it may be your parents, it might be your best friend, it might be a teacher. Look out for those people. And that can just give you that extra support if you're not on an access programme to be able to, to, to go further with it. And the power of somebody, even if they don't have the knowledge of medicine, but to believe in you, that is, that is um, immeasurable. Somebody says, I believe that you have those skills to get there. I don't know how you're going to get there, but I believe in you. And I'll be there right at the front. I'll be there on the first day of medical school to support you. And I'll be there at your graduation. Yeah. I think that's such a nice way of looking at it. I actually feel like a bit emotional hearing you talk about it like that because it's just, it's such a stressful time. And like having those cheerleaders in your corner, um, you know, might not have had the like systemic support, but I feel like, yeah, I do feel very lucky that like my parents are very supportive, even though, you know, they didn't know anything about medicine. Um, and yeah, like no one in my family has, you know, have has a medical background or anything like that. And, you know, when we talked before, we talked about, like, doctor parents and, you know, doctor, like, then kind of raising students who go into medicine. And I thought that was really interesting that you kind of mentioned about your own children and how you felt about that. Yeah, I'm such a role model that none of my kids want to be doctors. 
Well, maybe, maybe, the, maybe the six-year-old, um, but she wants to be part-time um, uh, child uh, childminder, vet, um, ballerina, and doctor. So I don't know if that's going to last. Um, but my my son, he's eighteen. He wants to be an engineer. Um, so it's it's different there. But as you said, Charlotte, um, in the in the literature, uh, there's a terminology called social reproduction. That is, every generation produces a similar person in the next generation. Um, and they provide you with the tools to succeed as well. So I always pronounce this this chap, this philosopher wrongly. I did a talk in Hull York the other day and I, I called him Bordeaux. And I think his name is Bourdieu. So look him up. He talks about capitals, things that people um, have that gives them advantages like cultural capital, economic capital, social capital and things like that. And And these are the things that lead to somebody who is from a doctor family becoming a doctor themselves as well. And I don't think it's bad because naturally as humans, we innately will look for the aids and supports we have. But but the kids from WP backgrounds don't have that. Those from families where there isn't a medical background, they don't have that support. So we need to sort of like bridge the gap. Yeah, for sure. There was a... Um... An article in a in like one of the Christmas issues of the BMJ a couple of years ago, um, talking about a kind of a study, a big study that was done in Sweden about um, whether kind of medicine runs in the family. Um, you know, it's kind of a jokey kind of take on it, and um, it said the proportion of physicians with at least one physician parent has increased, like with time. Um, and it was it was about twenty percent for physicians born in um, nineteen eighty to nineteen ninety, which you know that's. It's a really high, like, proportion of people who who have that, um, and I guess it's just interesting to like kind of think about the reasons why, which I guess we've started touching on already. Um, but yeah, I thought we'd come back and talk a bit more about um, what things are like when you actually get to medical school, right after this message from our sponsor. Indemnity. You've probably not given it much thought, but it won't be long until the risk of claims and patient complaints becomes all too real. Whatever lies ahead, you need experts in your corner who offer indemnity and a whole lot more. That's why it pays to be with Medical Protection. There's our free membership during your medical school years, our wealth of training resources to help you become the best doctor you can be, and our international experience that protects you during your elective no matter how far from home you end up. In fact, There are many reasons why our members worldwide trust us to support and protect them throughout their careers. And if you're looking for one more, every week, one lucky new joiner wins £200. That's the average student weekly spend. Just join for free and you're automatically entered into the draw. That's why UK medical students choose to be part of medical protection. You can't blame them, so why not join them? Visit medicalprotection.org to find out more. Okay, back to the show. Um, so yeah, now I thought um, if we kind of go on to like thinking about what our experiences were like when we actually got to medical school, um, Stan Ramney, like how did you kind of feel when you got there after you know maybe some barriers to to kind of making it to that point? I suppose. Um, I think there was a sense of relief, and I I still remember getting like the offer and being like 
literally because it took me so many years to get there and I remember like mum and I just went went to cake box got a little cake and we just celebrated um <laughs> and and it was just felt so surreal but then I also had imposter syndrome straight away and I kept checking my email being like is this legit is this actually meant for me mm-hmm. and I was like should I just email them just to check just in case <laughs> um so yeah it was it was like honestly it was a magical moment I still remember it very vividly but um but then that fear suddenly kicked in in terms of oh my gosh you know I've been watching all of these medic YouTubers and on social media seeing all these medical students like going about their lives talking about how busy and hectic it is like how you know like how will I fit in how will I live up to that as well so yeah I had I had I think I had a lot of fears Mm. yeah and when we talked about all the like um the kind of roadblocks that can come with being like kind of a first generation medical student and um, maybe from like a widening participation background. Did you feel like because you'd got the other degree and you you know you'd been doing pharmacy, did you feel that that leveled the playing field a bit, or did you still feel like there was a bit of a language that you you know that you didn't quite know? Because that's how I've definitely felt in medicine. Um, I think for me, I felt like yes, I definitely felt like oh, because I've now got the degree, I'm now on the sort of you know similar playing field but I did have that fear in terms of I think the financial side because coming from a working class background even as a graduate I just knew that I you know I need to save a lot more I can't rely on like you know my parents aren't well you know I don't have that financial support from them. I completely agree with Ramneet um when I got my offer for medical school it was actually my friend's my best friend's birthday so there was like a nice uh, kind of thing I called her and I was like oh I know it's your birthday but um <laughs> and then I still to this day think that the med school are going to email me and be like the offer we said you was wrong and <laughs> you have to go back um but if I think back to going to my undergrad so going to university for the first time I wasn't really sort of clued up on what happens at university. And I went to university that had a very big proportion of privately educated um, kids, which, to be honest, I didn't even realise until I got there. And I was lucky that kind of the accommodation that I was in, it was either like the... um, poorer students or the ones who hadn't that university hadn't been their first choice so they were kind of like stuck with that one and I was able to find friends because if I think about the majority of the people that I met outside of my friendship group at university I would have not been able to sort of hold a conversation with them because we had so little in common like the majority of them came from such privileged backgrounds that like the conversations that they were having or you know kind of the lifestyles that they were that they were living I just could not identify with any of that. And, you know, I I come from a working class background, but not one that's like, you know, I didn't grow up in, in extreme poverty or anything like that. And it was still something that you would see those people, whether it was like on nights out or just at like social events, even in lectures, kind of like you can identify from kind of the clothes they wear to the things they talk about. At the same as Ramneet, I thought, you know, I go to a graduate only medical school. So there's... Um, no undergraduates here, so we don't have to join sort of like the third years or anything. It's just us, the four-year um, four year course. And I thought, oh, you know, this will largely be reduced at graduate entry medical school because, you know, we've all had degrees. We've all reached kind of a similar level. Some of us have worked for a long time. I came straight from undergrad to medical school. But even here, like, the privileges um, are very much, um, very much apparent. And there are still a lot of the people that, again, I have very little in common with because of kind of where we come from and 
I, th- I mean, um, Enam can correct me, but I think that probably um, transfers later on into medicine as well um, with like sort of, I've definitely seen it with v- very junior doctors like F1s and F2s. I've had those conversations with them. I don't know how it is at sort of registrar and consultant level, but I can imagine it, it stays there. So even though you've all got to the same place, there's still a lot that uh, that is, uh, is different between you. Yeah, it, it never goes away. Um, so... Medical schools have traditionally seen uh, people from non-traditional backgrounds as um, having this like cultural, sort of like this deficit. So they've, they've come to university, to this benign, benevolent university, and the university will correct them and make them part of the system and things like that. Whereas they're neglecting all the hard work you've all done to get there, the extra work with the lack of awareness, the lack of support, all those things that everyone else has had. And unfortunately, this is something that lasts through medical school and beyond as well. So at medical school, if you're in a certain group of people, because obviously you can relate to them, you may not get that social reproduction, those chances, those meetings with the big professors, the meetings with um, people that can influence your career. Because those those doors are not open because they're in like private groups, friend of dad's. You know, there's nothing wrong with it, but it just means that there's an inequality there. Because at, at university, I didn't have a professor that I, my dad knew. <laughs> you know, I, I couldn't go to those kind of things. And you'll find that, as you said, Stan, in, in FY, in uh, ST, even when you're in academia, they'll still be there. Yeah, it kind of all comes back to some of the stuff you said earlier as well about like cultural capital and things. And I definitely found that when I got to university, Stan, you mentioned like... Um, just it being a bit of a different world um and yeah I really relate to that I think like and we had a lot of kind of fancy dinners at the start with our tutors and things and I just didn't know things I just didn't I didn't know about art and I didn't know about history and the number of conversations I had where I was sort of you know really trying to conceal that I had no idea what was happening um it's like embarrassing looking back on but I also feel you know, slightly sorry for 18-year-old me who was just a bit kind of confused. And yeah, I guess it kind of feels like a bit of a gulf sometimes. Um, Just as a flip side, what you brought to the medical school, I think that's what uh, a lot of students don't realise. You brought life, you brought life experiences, you brought the the challenges, uh, the things that you've overcome, that enrichment. And these are things that are are so important to be a doctor. If you can relate to uh, the regular patient on the street, if you can relate to the community there, then it's easier for you to break down that barrier with that community as well. So I, I think it's that gremlin that those of us who've not had that, those privileges ha- uh, bring with us, thinking we're not good enough and we should just accept who we are. Whereas we should flip it around and say, look, I had no, like Ramnit, you were saying, I didn't have any kind of uh, support. I had to source out people to give me that information. So what kind of skills are they? That's really inquisitive skills, isn't it? It's like you've got the skills to be... Your generation won't know Columbo. He was a great detective in the 70s. Oh, I watch Columbo. <laughs> no way. <laughs> I watch it. That's my, that's my secret kind of go-to show when I go home. <laughs> yeah, so Columbo is like a role model, isn't he? Because he's the yeah. one that can find out mm-hmm. truths from people with very little information as well. And it's those qualities that you bring to medical school that makes medical school a better place. And it makes the NHS a better place to have people that represent the population they serve. Because I was, I was going to say, like, um, in terms of myself as well, 
I remember even coming to medical school because of the way I talk and sound um people assume oh that I get get I get told oh my gosh you sound so posh you sound so well spoken and I get asked by medical students and doctors going oh so you know your parents must be doctors right and both my parents at that time were like shop assistants and I was like no they're not I don't have any medics in my family and also I'm not from a private school um and then they the look of disappointment I get from people um has been very hard because you know it's it's it kind of felt like you know they're judging me they're like oh well you're not what we thought you were going to be you feel like a fraud um and I feel like sometimes I, when I was younger, I felt the need to conform. Even when I went to like my previous university, like, you know, there was a need for just for me to like fit in and become almost more like posh or to take part in all these activities which required money to do, you know. Um, and, and I feel like even now as a mature student, I don't have that. That's kind of I've worked on that. And that's, you know, not it doesn't really bother me anymore, but it's still there. And, you know, well, like especially with Enamel saying in terms of just own it and just be you as well and like, you know, you bring in something different to the playing field. But still, I feel like sometimes there is that pressure from others that you need to be this one type of doctor or this type of personality. Yeah, definitely. We've done like a whole episode on accents like earlier this year because I kind of wanted to get into that, into do you round off all your edges um, to be what you think the perfect medical student needs to be? Yeah, and I think that's definitely when you, or at least for me when I started medical school, like my accent was like a big you know it was kind of the butt of a lot of jokes which is you know it's fine but like like often it wasn't just accent like it could be like foods you hadn't tried or like places you hadn't been and it's not like ignorance it's just a lack of exposure I think um I was just gonna say um similarly to what Ramney was um, just saying about kind of people assuming different things um, is sometimes because I didn't grow up in this country and sometimes people um, associate that um, kind of like international student with like, um, you know, having a lot of money and being very wealthy, which I think a lot of the times is probably true because for international students to come and study here, you know, you need to pay like big tuition fees. But my case was different because my dad came here because our country just was like in a big crisis at the time and he came here to sort of earn money and lived in um, sort of a really bad neighborhood in East London uh, so that he could sort of send money over to us and um, so that we could live comfortably out there but when we you know when I moved here I was just like the son of a working class um, sort of migrant worker kind of thing and when people are like oh you went to you know school in a different country it's always associated with a bit of like oh you must have a lot of money I'm like no I like I support myself throughout university you know like um the you get your student loans and things like that it's like my parents don't give me money um to live off I work you know I have part-time jobs so I think assumptions that are a big thing that we just uh, this plaster on everyone I think everyone's guilty of it at, at one point um in their life but it is interesting especially with medical students because I think maybe people are trying to sort of find those who are who come from similar backgrounds to them and they just kind of want to stick together and which is something that I definitely I've definitely seen people sort of um from similar backgrounds sticking together which probably isn't helping with um with all this thing that we're talking about and institutionally um this is the fault of medical school I'm part of medical schools um and we're looking at that because a lot of the reason why these barriers are there is because of institution there's nothing by us as medical schools I am not the medical school sorry I, I work there but us as medical schools, we're not doing enough. 
to challenge these, uh, you know, these like silos of people who then have their social reproduction. Those other silos of people who do not get those, uh, you know, prestigious um, jobs later on or prestigious research opportunities afterwards because they just didn't know the right people. So institutionally, we need to change that. We need to flip it up and and value everyone that comes through and value all the different skill sets that they bring uh, to the table. I'd just like to say, Stan, my dad was a, was a migrant as well. I love the migrant generation. They're the ultimate inspiration. My dad sadly passed away a few years ago, but he's my inspiration. Because imagine that coming to a country, you know, by yourself, speaking a different language and making that difference. And I think that's the richness of those of us who've come from migrant backgrounds that we've got family there who who weren't weren't afraid to go beyond uh, their normal existence and to make a life for themselves and their family um, in another country. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Like even my mum, like being from migrant background and obviously migrating from Punjab in India, I remember like even for, because we had the whole work hard, make money for my family mentality, on first time round and apply for medicine, I remember one of the universities for the interviews, we didn't know like you had to like book train tickets in advance. We turned up at the platform we had to pay like £250, I remember, on the day. And I knew how much of a hit that would take financially for our family. But the most beautiful like thing was that my mum didn't even wince. She was like determined. She was like, doesn't matter. It's for my child's education. And I can see the passion she has. And I just want her to you know, help her to get there. And that's what I love. It's just that tenacity to just keep going. You know, don't ever make money an issue. Like, you know, we'll make it work. So, yeah. No, that's like, yeah, it's really lovely, like what you said there, Ramni, and like, just really nice. Um, yeah, we'll talk a bit more about um, kind of the changes we'd like to see in medical schools right after this advert. I'm Dr. Matt Morgan. Alongside working as an intensive care consultant, I work as part of the BMJ on examination team to support you in passing your medical exams. You can now get access to our personalised revision resource online and our app for years 1 to 3 totally free with code YEARS1233 as well as a huge 40% discount on our finals product using code FINALS40. We'll help you to pass by making sure you maximise your time We'll deliver you the most important questions, keep you on track with daily reminders and give you feedback to show you how you're performing. We are committed to making revision easy, so start your journey to pass first time today by visiting onexamination.com to sign up or by downloading the OnExamination app and using code YEARS1233 for YEARS1233 free or code FINALS40 for 40% off our finals product. Okay, back to the show. So I thought now it could be kind of helpful to hear from Judy, who um, was on last week's episode about some of the other kind of aspects of this that we haven't quite considered yet. Hi guys, Judy here. I am a fourth year medical student at the University of Celestia. So something I didn't get to say last episode when we were talking about competition in medicine um, is how it invariably affects our attitudes and views pertaining privilege in medicine. 
So unlike in many other fields where we try to break down the barriers created by privilege and intrinsic advantages, in medicine, the privileged are encouraged and rewarded to hold on to their advantages. We are encouraged to have a competitive streak or an edge that gets individuals into highly coveted specialties. Um, we've all heard about students sometimes keeping study notes or resources to themselves because they want to rank higher. Um, so in that same note, what happens when students have networks and links through family that may be advantages for research or elective or training opportunities? Um, with all of, this, all of this in mind, I, I felt the conversation about firsts in medicine wouldn't be complete without looking at how and why these structures have existed for this long. Um, and I think it's definitely because there is sort of a system that rewards um, people who are privileged in medicine. So yeah, that's kind of just building on what we talked about last time, really, about kind of we talked about ranking and what makes a good doctor and things. And yeah, I think what Judy's saying is is you know really interesting like when you you're coming in with kind of privilege or advantages that does really get you places in medicine because of the way that the structures are set up yeah i mean i'd i'd like to just give a, an example of how how to counter it and i'm i'm um i would really signpost to professor sally curtis at southampton university have a read of some of the work she's done there's some work that she's done on reverse mentoring where senior um, members of the faculty meet students from wp backgrounds and, and those from minority communities. Um, and what her study, it was a small study, found was that uh, by trying to understand and, and go, getting into the shoes of those students, it sort of broke down the barriers and realised they're not people to be pitied or people who our job is to make them into this standard medical student, but it's somebody who's, who's, who brings value and dignity and life experiences to the table. So, so that's a, a way of, of, of where institutes can make that difference. But Judy's spot on with the fact that institutionally, uh, medical school is archaic. A medical school needs to change if it wants to yeah, join the rest of the world um, in the 21st century. I completely agree. I think um, maybe I was being a bit naive before coming to med school or I just thought that these things had sort of been almost eradicated. And then when you hear people who um, kind of, yeah, get on papers because of their parents and because they haven't um, done anything. And when I know how um, much it's taken me to um, publish a paper, you know, I did a year of research at my old, uh, during my old degree and kind of the number of times like submitting, to, I think we submitted to like three or four journals before it got accepted. And, you know, I saw what research is really about about you know submitting your paper having it rejected and I think maybe we are moving in the right direction um you know we've recently seen points in the foundation program applications for previous degrees and previous publications being removed for and one of the arguments for that was widening participation and now we're potentially seeing um you know the whole system reimagined without uh you know our academic rankings um being taken into account i don't know when this episode will be out maybe by then we'll know kind of the final position uh but it is interesting to see that sort of institutions are maybe slowly trying to catch up with these things but whether I, well i don't think we are putting in enough work to be honest uh, and i think what enam was saying it is on the universities well it should be on sort of people in power but if they're not doing anything it should be on the universities uh, but I think too often we see higher education being run 
more like a business rather than something that is really helping generations to succeed. Yeah, and I would also like to see kind of uh, more people from who've gone from medical school from a wine participation background actually making it to senior roles and going into academia because I want you know I would love to see more role models in amongst staff who I can look up to and be like you know they've made it here and they're from a similar background to myself because also I don't think there are enough staff who are from similar working class backgrounds or whatever you know, so you kind of almost put a barrier up automatically and think, oh, no, I can't get to there. And you kind of lower your ceiling almost. So, yeah, there's a lot of work still to be done. And the the crazy thing is, once you get into senior roles, you know, it's not this ivory tower. They're just normal human beings who have got either through their own hard efforts or through their net- networks and connections to those positions. And I think it is sad to see that people feel you know, like you said, Ramni, that I can't see myself as an academic. It, it It is feasible to get there, but you do need the champions. You need people to support you. And I've been lucky that I've had people that have been able to support me to get to to where we are um, at the moment. Finding those people throughout medical school makes the whole thing, you know, so much easier. Um, and I think it's something that, like, has really kind of fueled me through it, is, like, having those people who you know, are there to support and who just understand it and who get it and who are able to kind of relate to you and kind of, yeah, speak your language on things. But it's something that I've noticed that, like, my friends with medic parents, they don't feel the need to have those people as much. And I do wonder if it's because, you know, they've already got someone who who can get that. And, like, my parents have been amazing while I've been at university. You know, my mum reads so many medical like autobiographies and books now because I think she just wants to like understand. Um, and, you know, they'll text me when the latest like ITV medic drama is on and things like that. But I think, um, yeah, having someone understand it and, you know, be with you through that journey is is really helpful as well. So the, the opposite side of it, as an academic over the last 10 years, I've had the privilege of working with students um, on projects as well. And what they bring is uh, unbelievable insight, passion, hard work and graft as well. Um, and, you know, I would say uh, to those listening who are students, um, don't be shy to ask and approach those seem that, who seem approachable, because more than likely they will say yes when you approach them and say, can I, can I talk to you about a paper or can I talk to you about a study? Because we love the passion of the students, um, the innovation of students, especially those from uh, less traditional backgrounds as well. Um, And, you know, it's a mutually beneficial thing. One of my colleagues at the the medical school, um, she created with some medical students um, a a sort of a mentoring programme called Thrive. So these medical students are now junior doctors. They're amazing. And what they do is they, um, they uh, mentor first-year uh, uh, students from widening participation backgrounds. And they just are... Because there's, there's a lot of literature that says the value of having near-peer mentors, people who've just recently gone through the same suffering and same uh, uh, difficulties as well and, and uh, enabled that to happen. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, look out for these mentoring programs that are there at medical school. I was going to say like, I, yeah, I recently like um, enrolled to become a mentor um, part of the, like uh, the Birmingham kind of one in participation. And I met up with, um, you know, my mentee like a couple of weeks ago and 
you know, she was also in a very similar position to me in sixth form, not knowing what to do, how to get in. And then we just talked for ages. And she just said to me, like, wow, like, I feel like I can see, you know, a future self there. And, you know, this is, that is possible, that you can come from this background and do it. And to me, I was like, you know, I, I was like, this is amazing because that's, I wish I had that person when I was going through it. And and I think, I think it's very easy to suddenly get into medical school and forget about that. And I think it's nice to actually remember, like, to actually help those people who were in your position back in the day um, and just keep that going. And like, you know, I'm saying, and Stan's also part of all these pro- like programs as well. Like there's so many winding participation programs now and it's so beautiful to see. I think definitely. And like, I, I wish I'd had something more like that when I got to medical school. I think like, it, like recently there's been like more of a push about getting medical students in, but um, it's you know for me one of the things I've often wondered is like what happens when when we get there and then like sometimes feel like we're just left to flounder a bit um it's all very well pushing people through the door but you know if their journey through medicine is then really challenging like there's something missing there so it's like really nice to hear that actually those gaps are kind of being filled a bit which is really good there is an elephant in the room I just thought I know we're not going to be covering this topic as a big topic but speaking to students over the years from widening participation backgrounds finance money because the experience isn't the same um yeah definitely and I feel like we could do like you know we've done episodes on money before and I feel like you know there's still so much that could be covered but we just couldn't have covered today but thank you all so much for that that conversation um does anyone have any final thoughts that they wanted to add in or I just want to encourage everyone listening, um, so whether you consider yourself to be from a privileged background or not, to sign up to those mentoring um, schemes. It doesn't have to be anything official. I think a lot of people have this worry that it's going to take up too much of their time, but it really doesn't. I mean, mine is as simple as, um, you know, apart from being in sort of several different charities and organisations, I have it just kind of as a pinned tweet, as in, if you, you know, if you want to ask me any questions about... Um, about medical school or applying to medical school feel free to send me a dm yeah i was also gonna add like you know i just want to say like just be yourself don't ever feel the need to change who you are or be ashamed of what your background is or anything just own it and know that that just brings diversity into your future career as a doctor because you'll be meeting patients from all walks of life so you know just do that and just go out and ask if you want experience or help with anything you know a lot of people are very friendly and helpful and we'll just you know happily help you and give advice so yeah Yeah. just be yourself and I think as well like some of this does get easier with time if if anyone is like a med student in one of the earlier years who's feeling kind of like a bit on their own with it or that the kind of the shock of getting to medical school has been very different to what they kind of imagined I think it does get easier and like you'll hopefully find your people and you know find people who like inspire you and things like we were saying earlier as well and yeah thank you all so much for joining us it's been it's been a really good discussion um and yeah thanks to everyone at home for listening uh if you like our show i'd love it if you could support us by leaving a review wherever you get your podcasts or by sharing it with the people you know tell your friends about it that really helps people find the show um next time we're going to be talking all about kind of milestones in medicine and the first time we really felt like a medical student or a doctor so get in touch if you want to share any of your own stories um we'd really love to hear from you and to do that you can find us at bmj student on twitter facebook or instagram if you'd like to hear any other episodes from us subscribe to shop scratch wherever you get your podcasts and in two weeks time you'll be notified of our next episode until then goodbye from us